Hey guys, 107.7 of the franchise, 107.9 in Tulsa. Uh, yeah, we're still around. Uh, it is the uh, Franchise Center Insiders. Uh, this is a special just Zoom quarantine, whatever you want to call it. Uh, if you're not listening in Oklahoma, uh, I know you're super jelly because we're about to open the state up and uh, get things fired up. Uh, let's go around the horn real quick. You got John Hamm, Brady Trantham, and Madison Morris. Uh, yeah, we still kind of do sports. So uh, we get together every now and then and start talking about it. And uh, let's start off just firing off news out of the NBA. I got mine from Shams because, of course, Woj is a nerd and blocked me. Uh, but it looks like certain practice facilities in certain states, like Oklahoma, might be opening up soon. Uh, John, whenever you first got that news, what immediately went through your head? Those poor Los Angeles Lakers and Clippers, how are they going to be able to compete? What if they are at a disadvantage? It's just not fair. <laughs> Brady? Yeah, I mean, John's exactly right. Hopefully the league does something like, I mean, I don't know, like some type of Supermax deal so that the, the big markets finally have a chance against these mean, mean small market teams. It's just not fair. Madison. We are finally going to have Thunder versus Grizzlies conference finals when basketball resumes. Just the, like the ratings will be through the roof. Madison. <laughs> I mean, I'm super jazzed about all of it. Uh, yeah, no, um, but on the real, I was really excited to see that kind of get put out today because I feel like we've been talking about this light at the end of the tunnel for a while now, and now we're actually starting to see it a little bit more. And so, I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah, just to wrap that up, I was just going to say Shams putting that out is kind of like, hey, this is kind of cool. Like, things are about to, or at least try to get a little bit better. They're trying their best to kind of maybe. get back in. So, I mean, you never know. Now, maybe. What do you mean maybe, John? Yeah, I mean, look, it, as, as people know, I mean, in certain parts of the U.S., things are opening back up. Um, I think we have to be cautious. You know, we, we need to look over the next couple of weeks. And, and these states are phasing it in. Like, I, you know, I saw this described as like a radio dial. You know, we're going to we're going to slowly open some things up um, like in some places, I think like Texas, like restaurants are opening to like 25 percent capacity, you know, just to start up. Um, if we have a setback, I mean, that could that could roll everything back. So um, I think we're sort of taking some cautious steps forward in other parts of the world. Those cautious steps did revert in a rollback. So hopefully our situation is different. Uh, we'll we'll see how this turns out. But um you know, that's why I'm, I'm just, I'm cautious. This is sort of, we're rolling out in a few areas and kind of seeing where we go from there. Brady, I saw that uh, not only are they going to kind of slowly open stuff up, I like how you used a radio dial. Uh, I think what me and Madison are really the only ones that know how to use the radio dial professionally. So just kind of, oh yeah, I have no know, idea. Just farm your own land there, John. Uh, but <laughs> whatever you talk about, opening it up slowly, um, one, they're not going to let other NBA players come to the open facilities and they're limiting the limiting the facilities that are open to four players. Is that what I saw? Yeah. Four players at a time, uh, trainers and staff have to be like 12 feet apart from each other. Um, and then players have to wear masks. And I don't know if you guys have gone out um, with gloves or mask on. I have um, just going to target for 45 minutes to an hour of grocery shopping, wearing a mask is it's not comfy um i start to get a little lightheaded and i'm just you know casually walking down aisles i mean i i can't imagine what you know healthcare workers nurses doctors how they have to wear them for 16 18 hours a day running around through like hospital corridors 
let alone basketball players running up and down the floor for two hours at a time, getting back into basketball shape. I don't see how that's feasible. But I think from a societal standpoint, obviously with things opening back up, hopefully people are still taking proper precautions and not going overboard with, you know, like we're going to like open up some of these things over here, but that doesn't mean everybody go into a room, like fill it with 150 people and just scream and jump all over the place. Like be smart, everybody. And then from a basketball standpoint, if it's going to come back, it has to start from square one at some point. And just this, the sheer announcement of, okay, we have a plan in place. Here's what it is. We're going to play it by ear, basically week by week, month by month. If the NBA is going to come back, it has to start from square one. So this is, the NBA is doing the right thing here with this. Man, I said whenever you talk about them opening the thing up and to the four players and all that stuff, just logistically, like Brady was saying, it just seems like it's going to be kind of hard. Does this even like give it like an advantage? What is this just uh, to kind of show that you know it is going to open up? I just don't quite understand what the NBA is trying to accomplish with the limited amount of people and limited amount of places that they're opening up. Right. Yeah. I think it's kind of like a little bit of a head scratcher moment because I get personally, like I get what they're trying to do. I think they are trying to ease their way back into uh, just some type of normalcy with the NBA. They're wanting to see this sport come back. Uh, They're wanting to give these guys a chance to get back in the gym and kind of get back to what they were doing. And so I like the restrictions they put on it. Obviously, what you guys just said with four people at a time, I saw it was like only one trainer is out there uh, with them at a time. And they have someone to monitor it the entire time as well. And so that's kind of like, I get what they're doing. And so I, I mean, like I was excited when I saw that today, just because I think that's going to be just the first little baby step to getting players back into the action of basketball. And so I don't know what's going to come out of it because John made a really good point earlier about, okay, but if it goes a little overboard, then this thing could very well just spike right back up. And so it's kind of just, I think they're putting like some testers out there to see what can come of it. And I'm all for it right now, but I'm also, you know, what I want them to still be as cautious as they were before. So it doesn't just, you know, take one step forward and take five steps back. Uh, John, there's some money attached to this question and and this thought process. So I'm automatically going to you. Uh, The NBA, and I was talking with Kelly Gregg today on our show, the franchise players now two hours. Thanks for listening. Uh, But Talking to Kelly today, they got to get to 70 games. They have to get to 70 games in order to get the money from the TVs. They're going to do whatever the hell it takes to get those 70 games in. Uh, Do you think that this is pressing it a little bit? I mean, maybe somewhat. And I think, honestly, that could work in their benefit because that could be, in effect, the second preseason, right? That could be the few games they need to kind of for the players to round back into shape. Um, so I, I think, look, again, we're, we're talking about optimal situations here. And I think we as a country still have a long way to go. I mean, the NBA's even talked about there needs to be widespread testing before they even come back. So, you know, we're talking about the very early stages of something here. But yes, you know, if you can get some players into the gym a few at a time, let them start to get their rhythm back a little bit. Um, and then maybe we do sort of make some advancements as an entire country over the next few months or (laughs) the next few weeks, um, you know, maybe we do reach a point to where you can get back together. You can get some, you can get some practices in and maybe you can get those last between four to six games in to kind of satisfy a lot of those uh, local TV contracts and then roll it into playoffs, potentially barring uh, no setbacks. Brady thoughts on this? 
getting yeah. to seventy, getting to seventy games. I mean, I mean, yeah. Like as, from what I understand, the NCAA was able to basically just cancel March Madness because, from what I understand, the money that they were going to make was already base. Was it insured? So they it's insured. Yeah. So all they were doing was uh, potentially avoiding potential lawsuits from players getting sick and then their families then suing the NCAA. So they're fine. They didn't make that. They probably didn't make that uh, decision with the only the moral obligation in mind with the NBA. I mean, there's always going to be financial pressure to, all right, we got, we got to make our money somehow. Otherwise what, who knows the ramifications for the league moving forward because basketball will return. Will it return in a few months? I mean, that's what we're kind of talking about right now. But past this, into the, the 2021-22 season, like basketball will be back. Now, if they're not able to finish this season off, who knows how the NBA is affected with the salary cap, with uh, profits, everything, everything that goes into the equation that we know of uh, with the NBA. Who knows how it's affected if the NBA doesn't get their 70 games in and get all their money's worth in. John, any uh, initial like conversations or talks about just maybe worst-case scenario and uh, some teams or – the NBA, how it's going to suffer? You know, it's it's really hard to tell. I mean, I think some numbers thrown around, like if if they cannot complete the season in some form, and and why and why we're talking about seventy games, I think that is sort of a benchmark that is in those local TV contracts. Yeah. Um, that if they don't reach that, then there could be some money that has to be refunded, and 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 some of that nonsense. So if they can't do the you know if they can't meet that benchmark for the regular season and they have to cancel the playoffs, you're looking at potentially a billion dollars that they would lose. And, you know, then that starts to figure into the math. Well, does that actually apply to the 2020 salary or yeah, the 2020 salary gap 2021? Um, You know, do they smooth that in? Like there's a whole other conversation to be had there, but um, you know, the NBA has a lot of incentive to try to find a way to at least have some form of playoffs. Even if they can't have the traditional four-round, you know, um, uh, sort of playoff event, if if they have to just come up with an abbreviated version of that, I think they will do it and try to recoup as much as they can. And John, I don't, I don't know if this is connected or if this is minuscule in the grand scheme of things when we're talking about the potential ramifications of missing out on all this money. Um, but I keep adding to the fact, what about the Daryl Morey China situation at the beginning of the year yeah. and how that was going to be affecting the salary cap moving forward? We already saw before COVID-19 was ever in our vocabulary how this is going to be like this is going to have some effects down the road. And you you add that to the current situation. Like to me, it just looks like the NBA has all this pressure to, of course, think about health and safety of the players. But hey, if we can squeeze something out, we need to do it like now. Yeah, uh, sure. So, I mean, this has all been very serious and good. We do a great job of covering that. But, Madison, I wanted to talk to you about what players have been doing to pass the time. And, Brady, I think this affected you also. Uh, I don't know if either one of you saw the Aaron Gordon diss track. Yeah. What a uh, fool. What a fool. I listened to that uh, while I ate my breakfast this morning. So, Brady, hold on now. You'll get your chance to talk. Uh, Dwayne Wade obviously did something horrific to Aaron Gordon, uh, completely robbing him of his second uh, slam dunk championship. Uh, Oh, my gosh. Aaron Gordon did not Uh, take it. Where are my pearls? He did not take (laughs) it to the streets, but he took it to the streets. Uh, Just a a damning (laughs) diss track on Dwayne Wade. Uh, Madison, your thoughts? 
No, I loved it. I loved it because, okay, so I get this from, I was talking about this last night when we were watching uh, episode three and four of the final dance, or the last dance, sorry. And it was how players, they're so buddy-buddy now, like nowadays, but back then, like they were just always kind of like getting on each other's nerves, like getting at each other and just like, I love that. And so this morning I was on Twitter and I see Aaron Gordon's diss track and like no hit on <laughs> Dwayne Wade at all. Like I swear, I, I think he's a phenomenal player. Great legacy in the NBA. But yeah. I loved the diss track. I thought it was so funny and just out of nowhere. And it kind of like brought a bunch of people like, I don't know, back, brought their attention back to the NBA and just back to oh yeah, like these guys, they kind of have like these little rivalries now and then. And I just thought it was funny because I know it was probably all in lightheartedness, but I thought it was pretty, uh, pretty interesting, especially coming from Aaron Gordon, who you don't hear much of except for when he's actually playing basketball. Brady, how does this damage Dwayne Wade's legacy? Uh, he goes from maybe being a <laughs> Hall of Famer to being an also-ran. Uh, <laughs> just a has-been. Yeah. <laughs> No, it doesn't affect Dwayne Wade's career at all. It just it only affects Aaron Gordon. I mean, this dude, two things. This dude is getting mad over a slam dunk contest. I mean, it's, like Madison, you Madison, you're right. Like we do kind of miss like as a collective basketball fan base, we do kind of miss like the 90s and the 80s, the rivalries, the the pretty much the hate between yes. like players and uh big time teams, but you know, I don't care about slam dunk, like pettiness. Like it's fun during all-star weekend, but at some point move on. And then the second thing, Aaron Gordon shouldn't have been in the final round anyway. He got sympathy voted <laughs> into the final round because he actually got screwed in 2016. He should have beat Zach Levine in the 2016 all-star weekend. And he got sympathy voted into the final round because they wanted him to win. He shouldn't have been in the final round in the first place. So don't, so lose me with, I got robbed by Dwayne Wade and his judging because <laughs> Of course, Dwayne Wade's gonna he's gonna vote for the Heat guy. Like, get other people on on the panel if that's the problem. John, is this the the, the slam dunk championship? Is it the worst uh, just jobbing of a slam dunk championship you've ever seen, or is there somebody else involved who's also pretty petty? Um, Dominique kind of got jobbed one year. What was that in Chicago? When um, yes, it was. Oh man, who was that guy that won? Um, was it Craig? E no, was it Paxson? No. Um, <laughs> It was the, sal the saltiest of all players, Michael Jordan. Yeah, he called, he called a teammate an alcoholic <laughs> on camera. I'll drink to that. Just if you hey. haven't been paying attention, the biggest thing since the Tiger King has been the last dancers or whatever the hell this thing the is called. The last dancers. I have, listen, this thing is just uh, – I, I don't let my kids watch uh, because just the things that men are doing to Michael Jordan on this, just glad handing him at best. That's the best thing I can say on this podcast. Uh, just, you know, kissing the ring, uh, falling at the hem of his garment. Uh, I had had enough. There we go with the Rodman episode. They start talking about the bad boys, and boy, things get salty uh, just immediately. Brady had some really good points, but I want to get Madison's uh, thoughts on this real quick because I haven't heard anything from her. As far as when you're watching this, Madison, mm -hmm. you're seeing a complete team beat a one-man show there for a couple of years. Yeah, no, I mean, I loved the episodes that they showed last night just because, first of all, they kicked it off with Dennis Rodman and his debauchery. And, like, I've always really enjoyed uh, Dennis Rodman just because I think he was kind of the player who just didn't give a crap about anything. And he was just 
you know, showed up, played hard every single night, and he was vicious out there. I, I miss that in the NBA now. But, yeah, um, I think the whole kind of epi- – or the two episodes last night, the whole premise of them was just that, like, it kind of accentuated Michael Jordan's dominance on the Bulls, of course. And, obviously, like, the first two were how great Scottie Pippen was for him and just different – uh, eras of Jordan's career as it was starting off but then last night I thought it was really cool just because it really showcased like uh, how the NBA used to be it really showcased Michael Jordan and just how great of a leader he really is and like how important he was to that entire franchise but then it also you know showcased uh, just little I don't know just little things like Dennis Rodman going off to Vegas and who did anyone else know that he dated Madonna I did not know that and I was yes. like what <laughs> Yeah, him and, uh, him, him, and, him and Charles Barkley are Eskimo brothers. I, I literally had no idea. <laughs> we were all watching it just like, wait, is that Madonna? And then, of course, he ended up in bed with Carmen Electra in Vegas. And you're just like, this, this guy has no end. Like, he just does it all. So I, I, I love last night's episodes. I thought is, they were great. Is Carmen Electra the biggest winner from the uh, Sunday Night Extravaganza? Right. <laughs> I kind of forgot about her, to be honest. I right. forgot about her until I saw her. I was like, that's what she looks yeah. like now. Wow. How could you uh, forget yeah. Bravo. about Carmen Electra? How in I the world could too. anyone forget she, about Carmen she, Electra? She has, we she's forgot been about under her. the radar. Woo! She was under you something. Guys, you guys don't have a big enough you don't have a big enough radar. Because uh man, <laughs> man. <laughs> Let's compare, ra- radar. let's compare radar sizes real quick. <laughs> Kudos. <laughs> Kudos to Carmen Electra. Uh, but yeah. you were saying you were listening to basketball uh, savant uh, Bill Simmons, uh, ready? And you didn't, re- you didn't realize that the Boston Celtics, the classless Boston Celtics, walked out on the Pistons whenever the Pistons won the Eastern Conference? Yeah, I mean – I didn't know that specific detail. I knew the Pistons kind of went through a similar kind of like, you've got to beat the big dog with the Celtics earlier on in the eighties, like what the bulls had to do with the Pistons. Like everybody knows that, but I just, um, I didn't know that the, the Celtics had walked out when they were getting eliminated against the Pistons, but Simmons and Ryan Rosillo on the, on Simmons's latest podcast talked about how back in the eighties. And you can see this like in a lot of these highlight reels, it was pretty normal for NBA fan bases to rush the floor, especially in Boston. Like it was, it, it for whatever reason, I, every time I watch like a Larry Bird stuff in the eighties, like fans are always on the floor, which is like, yeah. that's, that's a lawsuit waiting to happen right now. But um, yeah. So opposing teams were more likely to deck out um, to avoid the rush. And I mean, we see this today, even in sports with college football, like when a game is decided with a few minutes left, you'll see like, some players and some staff start going into the locker room. And it's, it's kind of a known thing that they're not being disrespectful. They're just trying to avoid potentially getting trampled by thousands of rabid drunk fans. Um, so it made, it made sense when um, Ryan and uh, Bill explained it that way. So when the Pistons do this in Detroit, I'm sorry. It's like, I get it, Jerry. You explained it on Twitter how, like, they're the bad boys. That, that, that's their thing. That's their image. They don't have to answer anybody. That's fine. Um, but when they get called out for it after the fact, it's like, you put that on film. You did that. You can't defend it. There's no defending it. So you just got to take it. You've got to take the criticism. And if they're trying to defend themselves, like, I'm sorry. Like, I'm like Mike. Like, he can say whatever he wants, but it's not going to change the fact that they were just straight bitches. John? <laughs> I, I've been saying this for a while. I am much more concerned about sportsmanship and shaking hands after games at the high school and below level, maybe even college, 
maybe even college and below. At the pro level, I don't care. I honestly don't care. Like, we had this big discussion years ago because Russell Westbrook left the court after getting beat by the Houston Rockets and didn't shake hands. I don't care. I just don't. And I know it's sort of a talking point because we have nothing else to talk about right now. But when you get to the professional level, if you want to be a, you know, if you want to be a great winner or a sore loser, great. I, I don't care. I just don't have that strong of an opinion. But here we are again. <laughs> yeah. And listen, I've been defending the Pistons for years when it's come to this. And I've always known little things like that. And I've brought stuff like that. But like I said on Twitter, Brady, and it's a great point. They were wrong. I absolutely have no problem saying that they were wrong in doing that. But that's what they were. And they didn't have to answer to anybody. They didn't have to answer to Michael Jordan. They didn't have to answer to David Stern. They sure as hell didn't have to answer to you, the fans, because you didn't want them there to begin with. Uh, Bill Lambeer came out. He played his combat basketball on Nintendo 64. See, okay. (laughs) Here's where I think – I think this is where Detroit has got this little small man syndrome where it's not really deserved. That Detroit Pistons team was good. And, and here, Jerry, I want you to – I hope this is being recorded because I'm giving them credit. <laughs> that Pistons team was good. They were legitimately good. Yes, they played a rough style of basketball within the rules at the time. That would be difficult to get away with in just about, you know, any era post-1995. Like, I get it. But, you know, they've sort of had this, like, oh, woe is us. Everyone just wanted to see the Lakers and, and Celtics. And it's like, you, get, you had Isaiah Thomas, for crying out loud. You had a number of guys that were really good, that were all-star level. You had a spectacular roster. You were not this, like, poor man. You know, it, it, it's not like us whining about no one wants to see the Thunder because they're in Oklahoma City. See, that's legit. Uh, Madison, whenever you look back at this and, and you sort of see this, Whenever you talk about the champions, we always talk about Bird, Magic, Jordan. Yeah. And then we and then we jump to Shaq and Kobe. I think the Detroit Pistons and the Houston Rockets, actually, with the team, they sort of get squozed out. You like how I use that? Squozed out. Squozed, yeah. That's gross. <laughs> <Good> vocabulary. <laughs> they, they get they get they get squozed out because none of them, I mean, obviously Kim Lajuan is a stud. Like you said, John, Isaiah Thomas is a Hall of Famer. But there's just something that transcendent basketball. And you're more of a historian, Madison, than John and I are because we were there. We were in the mm-hmm. S, if you will. Uh, how, I mean, how do you see it? Whenever John talks about that, like, how do you see it? Do you see that Detroit was really that good of a basketball team? Or do you kind of see them on that same level as just a lower tier underneath those superstars? Honestly, I saw Detroit as just they weren't scared to go to battle. They weren't ever deterred they were willing to go out there and basically just be vicious and ferocious out there but they were aggressive and they loved playing basketball and it's like their entire team did I loved uh this part I I think it was in the third or fourth I forgot which episode it was in but they were talking about Detroit and they were saying that they just outpower them so much because the entire team is willing to go out there and be physical they have a game plan and it wasn't just the Jordan rules that they came up with it was mainly just they wanted to annihilate everybody who was in their path and that was like a full team thing and so that's what I think made Detroit so good back then is because they were they weren't scared to do stuff like that and obviously they could get away with it you can't get away with stuff like that nowadays in the NBA but back then they knew they could get away with it they weren't scared to go out there and just uh, like enrage fans by having bad sportsmanship And I I kind of thought that that's what made them so great and so memorable. That's why I talked to so many people, including you, Jerry, 
that's why they loved Detroit back then because they were just they were malicious. They didn't even care though. They just wanted to win basketball games. They wanted to do it aggressively and it worked for them because they made it far. They had great seasons back then and they're memorable. Like people still look back on that Detroit team and call them the bad boys. And that's why. All right. So this is dumb and we usually don't do this because we're not that dumb, but there's not much to talk about. And I kind of, when I start to really think about it, I thought it was fun. Greatest team of all time. Is it the Golden State Warriors or is it the Bulls? In this section of the Bulls, whenever you say somebody says to you, if you go on some sort of hit, John in the Philippines or Brady, uh, <laughs> 17 podcast, or you, Madison, uh, just anybody that'll listen to you, uh, whenever you guys go and talk to people, who's the greatest team at all of all time? Let's I'm just real simple, and then we'll start to break it down. Uh, one or the other, Brady, you first. Don't qualify, just the greatest team of all time. You got to put somebody number one. Who is it? Basketball, I would, I'd probably have to say the 72 and 10 Chicago Bulls. Okay, John? I tend to agree. Okay, Madison? I mean, I would probably agree, too. I know I didn't get to witness that team, uh, but just looking back on them and how they were led by Michael Jordan, definitely. Why do all three of – well, and then I agree also. But what if they played with today's rules, no hand-checking, uh, just a little bit defensively? Does that change it a bit? I, what if what if those Golden State Warriors played back then? I well, mean, no, how ex- uh, well, because all four of us think that with those kind of rules, look, that Chicago, all four of us think the Chicago if, Bulls would beat us. Beat if, them. If Bill Russell played against guys that were average wise around his height, he wouldn't have won all those rings. He was playing I, against a bunch of five five foot about, eleven white centers. Like I'm like talking that, about the rules. I'm talking oh, about the rules. Yeah. Well, my, my, right. Well, my my point is. Like every era is different. It really shouldn't take a, like you can still argue and debate like, well, this player was the great in this era. Compare that to another great player in a different era. You can debate that, but then to sit there and say, well, Jordan wouldn't have done anything without all the hand check rules. Like, well, like that never happened. That's not going to happen. So, to me, it's always a little head scratchy to talk about it. But are you going to play pretend I, with us? I well. Playing pretend. We're Jor- playing Jordan, pretend. Jordan would have figured something out. He was no. I, he was, I, I agree. He okay. would have figured I something out. Agree. He, yeah. cl- right. he clearly showed that he was willing to adapt. So I, I'm sure he would have be, uh, adapt to officiating. One of my favorite things in the episodes uh, that we can all kind of talk about real quick uh, was whenever they start showing Michael Jordan and the realization that Paxson was open. Right? Remember they went through a whole <laughs> deal with that, where finally the triangle works. Because he realizes, oh, John Paxson can hit a shot. Man, I've been playing with this guy for eight years. I never could figure it out. <laughs> so anyway, that was that coming of age that they talked about with Michael Jordan and, uh, you know, sort of figuring it out and going to that even next level. There's somebody that we covered for a long time that we all said, man, if you could just figure out that next level, yeah. no one on earth can stop this guy. Serge Ibaka, I know. It's... <laughs> We could just incorporate for about a month. Teammates. It was Mitch McGarry. <laughs> <laughs> Did any of you like me just sit there and go, "Yeah, there was a dude that I seriously covered that if he could have just figured out that dude, the other dude was open, that some of the role players were open, it could have went to another level." <clears throat> yeah. No. Look, I, I think it's completely fair <clears throat> to to talk about a lot of that. I'm more. I go back to again the Russ and KD era. 
And, I mean, there's an argument to be made. Do you want to swing the ball around to Tabo Cephalosha for an open shot, or would you rather Kevin Durant go one-on-one, so forth and so on. But, I, again, I think there were some, some offensive principles that weren't quite in place. That Thunder team was very successful because Russ and KD were just so dominant one-on-one. And, you know, they could find – Serge was like the safety valve, right? He was, he was like automatic for a season or two from like 17 to 18 feet. So, yeah, I mean, there's, there's some of that. Now, Jerry, I will say this too, Russ's MVP season, you and I set up for a lot of postgame shows where we're talking early in the fourth quarter about, well, this is going to be a thunder loss, and here's how it happened, and then Russ brought them back by being brilliant. So, yeah. you know, it's, um, it, it, I think you kind of have to separate that from those, from those prior seasons of success. It's, it's worth talking about, you know, should more have been done to involve other guys? Guys, it's a limited time, limited space that we have. I appreciate all of you guys hanging out with me and uh, getting this done. Uh, Brady, what are you up to right now? Right now, I'm just uh, enjoying quarantine for the next week or so. But um, same thing as always. (laughs) Madison? Um, I am... Same. I'm here in Oklahoma City, just watching Bachelors on Mondays and uh, drinking my <laughs> So that's where we are right yeah, now. Yeah, we, we almost got into Madison's Bachelor time, so she was almost Don't angry. Don't you dare. Mondays, <laughs> I need seven to nine. Just no one bother me. John, how are things going with you? You know, I, I feel busier than usual, which is weird to say because, I mean, my usual is, you know, working a 40-hour-a-week job and then doing all the radio stuff and all the podcasting stuff on the side. Uh, Jerry, I, I, I can patch a hole in the wall. I, I can do drywall work. I can paint. I had no idea. So, like, I have been uh, – yeah, look at me, right? I'm doing all this because I might – you know, you never know. I might get laid off one day and I have to become a handyman. You never know. So I better start working on those skills now. Things have changed a little bit for me. I'm going now from 11 to 1 with Dylan Buckingham. TV on the radio is what we're calling it. And then, of course, (laughs) staying with uh, Kelly Gregg from 1 to 3. So catch that. Appreciate everything we do. Uh, Brady, you're going to do a hell of a job putting this together. Thank you so much for hosting this. John, thank you for staying sober as long as you could. (laughs) And Matt, we're going to do this on audio because you have to get TV ready. Yeah. He's seven minutes TV ready at all time, Madison. I look like a train wreck right now, so absolutely <laughs> not. This video if is you, going nowhere. If you Venmo us five dollars each, we'll send you the video. All right, all right, do. Madison's trying to Madison's trying to pretend like she looks like the Thunder in Milwaukee from a few months ago. <laughs> exactly what I look like. I'm like uh, right, Oh my get- god, they scored seventy and a quarter. <laughs> My, she's missing a Gallinari. (laughs) (laughs) We will try to get something up here uh, as soon as things go on, but it sounds like things are going to get going pretty soon. So uh, thank you for listening. For Brady, for Madison, for John, and Jerry Ramsey, thank you so much for listening.